Welcome to a very special episode of 8-Bits, celebrating the first year of this very show. I'm your host, Frankie Godoy. In this episode, we'll be taking a look back at the year that was 2021 in video games. But, Frankie, why are you doing that in April? Well, while most calendars run from January to December, the video game calendar runs from April to March to better line up with business fiscal calendars, which is why you see so many big AAA titles coming out in January and February now, because you gotta make those quarterly earnings calls sound real good every month and not just with the holiday bump. Fun fact. Now, let's get started. The gaming industry continues to get smaller. On top of the acquisitions from 2020 and early 2021, the biggest players in gaming continue to snatch up other fish in the sea of video games. One of those acquisitions happened to be one of the biggest acquisitions of anything, ever, with Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard. The pending $68.7 million purchase is up there on the scale of the recent Disney-Fox acquisition, or any number of pharmaceutical mergers in the last 30 years. The acquisition is so large that it has some regulators concerned that it may turn Microsoft into a monopolistic player in the video game space. Microsoft is no stranger to monopolistic behavior in both the internet and operating system space, but the rules as to what constitutes a monopoly have laxed since Microsoft last faced such scrutiny, making the home of Halo also the home of Call of Duty all but an inevitability. The other big players in games have been making their own purchases as well. Bungie, who was once very vocal about maintaining their independence following their departure from Microsoft, was acquired by Sony for $3.6 billion. However, unlike some of Sony's other acquisitions like Housemark and most recently Haven Studios, Bungie will be a wholly owned subsidiary of the company, riding the line of independence and financial safety. Outside of the console makers, the largest publishers are also expanding their stables. Take-Two Interactive bought Zynga. The home of Farmville, Wars with Friends, and more user data than anyone should be comfortable with. The combination of Zynga, Playdots, and Social Point together make Take-Two not just one of the biggest players in the PC and console space, but also on mobile. Epic Games, before quietly a big player with their Unreal Engine, is now loudly acquiring companies in and out of the gaming space. In November, Epic acquired music gaming powerhouse Harmonix. On top of their experience with music games, the studio also has lots of experience handling music licensing, experience that can bolster Fortnite as a digital concert space. Also in the music space, Epic purchased Bandcamp, the music storefront and social platform for smaller artists. Bandcamp is the latest of Epic's purchases to grow its variety of storefronts supporting independent creators, such as digital artist stores, ArtStation, and Sketchfab. Most of Epic's acquisitions are all for supporting independent creators with their newfound wealth in the face of the company's legal battles against Apple and Google. It's not just the gaming industry that's getting smaller, but the very things we play our games on. A decade ago, people were claiming that the dedicated portable gaming device was dead, who needed a 3DS or Vita when you had a smartphone? And, to be fair, they were mostly right. The PlayStation Vita died a quiet death and, while the 3DS sold well, the device was not selling like a Game Boy or even the DS before it. The money was on mobile. Nintendo, however, 
shook the gaming landscape in 2017 with the meteoric success of the hybrid portable console the Nintendo Switch. Finally, after years of claiming that console-caliber games were possible on mobile, Nintendo decided to make the console go with you. The Switch continues to sell, with the OLED model releasing in the fall, refreshing the lineup of systems. The Switch also started to inspire other hardware manufacturers to make portable hybrid gaming devices. Pocketable PCs like the GPD Win and Ion Neo were all the precursors to today's new portable contender, the Steam Deck. What the Steam Deck has over its competitors is the convenience of Steam and its massive library of games to back the system. The Steam Deck continues to make headlines from the backing of the PC gaming community alongside the sheer demand for the product. Other creators, seeing the Switch as a bastion for retro games and Nintendo's own negligence of its retro catalog, took it into their own hands to create the definitive retro gaming device. The Analog Pocket, announced in 2019 and delayed out of 2020, launched last fall the rave reviews of empowering gamers to dig into their retro game collections and experience their childhood nostalgia in a new, higher resolution. What was old is new again. Rather than make something old feel new, the team at Panic and Teenage Engineering designed a new handheld that was new but very much felt old. The quirky Panic Playdate with its 1-bit LCD screen and crank is finally beginning to ship this month after months of delays with initial reviews being quite positive. All the new portables on the market are here to counter the idea that portable gaming is dead. Portable gaming is going nowhere. And now for a message from our sponsor. Gaming is social. Even playing relatively solo games like Elden Ring, the moments in-game, and the community building around those moments are still commanding social media and news headlines, turning the lowly, pot-headed tarnished Let Me Solo Her into a modern gaming legend, the kind of hero Leroy Jenkins wishes he could be. Games aren't just a place to party up and collect victory royales or become Apex Legends. They're becoming digital environments for people to socialize in. Though this phenomenon is nothing new to the seasoned gamer, the pandemic forced all of society to go digital, including business people who had never encountered this kind of digital existence before. With dollar signs in their eyes, they turned to building their own games, but they refused to call them games, fearing they would scare away consumers averse to gaming. No, this was something wholly new and different, and not just a capitalistic rehash of Second Life. This was the metaverse. It felt like everyone and their uncle wanted in on the metaverse in 2021, or to build the platform that would become the metaverse, or simply throwing the term metaverse out there, hoping to stake their claim in our impending digital existence. Facebook took to the metaverse so much that Mark Zuckerberg pivoted the entire company toward building the metaverse, even so much as to rename the company Meta, other companies already using the name Be Damned. Meta continues to push the Horizon Worlds platform through big marketing buys to make people think that Facebook is making the metaverse but moreover, that Facebook had changed its name in the first place. Most of these metaverses announced in the past year are really just games built around marketable buzzwords. Decentralized, Web3, NFT, DAO, Crypto, things like that. Axie Infinity, a play-to-earn NFT Pokemon clone, markets itself as a metaverse due to its decentralized nature, 
but the recent hack and heist of nearly a billion dollars has made players wary of the viability of the game. Decentraland, another game billing itself as a metaverse, requires buying into the developer's DAO to play an underwhelming MMO. For the 20th anniversary of Xbox, Microsoft released a cloud-based Xbox museum where players could roam around in RGB void to see their accomplishments on the platform. The marketing surrounding the Xbox Museum also called it a metaverse. The term has become so nebulous in the past year that no one really knows what the metaverse is anymore, and frankly, we may not even know when it arrives, but when it does, it won't be because some company says it has. If there was one thing that the past year showed, it's that big businesses really take their workers for granted. The development cycle of video games has demanded crunch, or putting staff into mandatory overtime for extended periods of time in order to meet arbitrary, unrealistic deadlines. To lessen the blow, the studio may bring on contractors to work harder for less, dangling the carrot of full-time employment ahead to keep them working, only to lay off most, if not all, once the project is complete. All of these stressors would be stacked on top of the existing pressures of toxic leadership and even worse behavior around the office, especially so for women working in the traditionally male-dominated video game industry. The Activision Blizzard harassment lawsuit became the domino that fell to set off a workers' revolution across the industry. For the first time, groups of workers across games came together to demand improvement across the industry. Workers' coalitions began forming within companies, like a better ABK with Activision Blizzard and a better Ubisoft. The first video game unions were formed, including the Vodio Workers' Union and the Game Workers' Alliance within Raven Software, though the latter is still finding to be recognized by management at Activision. Brave individuals and teams sought to speak out against their leaders, potentially sacrificing their careers over wanting to improve the industry. Change is coming around, with games being delayed past their initial goals to avoid crunch, such as Horizon Forbidden West and God of War Ragnarok. Unlike in the past, consumers largely seem okay with the delays if it means they'll eventually get a better game and that the people making their games are healthier, fearing another flawed launch on the scale of Cyberpunk 2077. Bungie is transitioning to a primarily virtual office, letting employees work from anywhere. QA contractors of Activision Blizzard are also being brought on full-time and getting full benefits, though that excludes the unionizing QA staff of Raven Software. Changes are happening, and who knows what the video game industry will look like in the future. And now for a special version of Looking Forward, where we look forward into the coming year and make predictions as to what will happen. I said I wouldn't ever do this on the show because, frankly, you shouldn't really care about what I have to predict about the future. But I'm going to do my best to try and make an educated prediction. So, my first prediction. A major publisher or developer even with all of the public backlash, will create a play-to-earn game or insert some play-to-earn aspect using all NFTs, cryptos, and everything 
into one of their games. Based off of what their president has been saying, I'm pretty sure it's going to be Square Enix. Imagine using Kingdom Hearts, for example, as a play-to-earn title where you can play-to-earn different Keyblade NFTs. Lovely. Next, a big intellectual property. Not really well known for video games, but outside of the video game space. Will return to the video game space and make a big splash. One Piece seems to be doing something right now with their upcoming RPG that actually looks pretty cool. But I'm thinking that this IP is going to be Avatar, not the Blue Aliens, but The Last Airbender, as the production studio that is host to all things Avatar from Viacom is really gearing up for something this year. Next, a big company will enter the video game industry that is already not part of the video game industry. I think it's going to be A24 Films. The company has already seen success producing different films as well as television. Now the next reasonable step is to get in the video games to compete potentially in that indie space or provide money to have like a slightly higher budget and indie games, something like Private Division from Take-Two. That's the kind of line I'm thinking. Lastly, one of the big players in the video game space is going to release new hardware or a peripheral that will perform well in reviews but will not perform well in sales. So it'll be something really cool, but it will probably be just a little bit too expensive, so it'll need to get cut and so it won't make all that much money, or just be something that consumers aren't particularly looking for. I'm thinking something along the lines of PSVR 2, potentially, since I personally don't think there is a big demand for VR despite how cool it is. A revision of the Valve Index? or some weird Nintendo thing that only Nintendo could make. But hey, those are just some of my predictions for the next year, and that has been one year of 8-bits. So, uh, first, thanks. Thank you for listening for one whole year. Thank you for listening to me for one whole year. I really appreciate it. I know I say that I appreciate it literally every episode, but like, Actually, I'm super appreciative of literally every person that listens to this show every week. I see those numbers, and I appreciate all of you out there. So, here's the one year. And if you want to follow me for the next year and however else long this show is going to run, follow me on Twitter, at Frankie Godoy. That is at F-R-A-N-K-I-E-G-O-D-O-Y. And also follow the official show Twitter, at 8BitsGG. That is the number 8, B-I-T-S. GG. Uh, no normal episode this week because I'm super busy. I have, I have to fly to California for stuff. But I'll be sure to wrap up this week's news next week as well, probably in a speed run like that Amy Hennig Star Wars news. That sounds really cool. Anyway, until next week, that's it. That's everything for this week. Once again, thank you so much for one year of this show and have a good rest of your week.